This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Welcome to the Good News Ride Home for Monday, August 3rd, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. Australian scientists have figured out a way to grow colored cotton. How poetry is helping healthcare workers through the pandemic. How to get your hands on some official Fire Festival merchandise, thanks to the U.S. Marshals. And the famous cartoon character who accidentally signed people's tax refund checks. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Starting today with some good news for the fashion industry. You're probably aware that clothing manufacturing, and especially fast fashion, is rife with problems, from unethical labor conditions to huge environmental concerns. Quoting the UN, The fashion industry produces 20% of global wastewater and 10% of global carbon emissions, more than all international flights and maritime shipping. Textile dyeing is the second largest polluter of water globally, and it takes around 2,000 gallons of water to make a typical pair of jeans. End quote. I didn't realize before how much of a problem dyeing specifically is, and this is something that a team of Australian scientists are hoping to solve, starting with cotton-based clothing. So cotton itself is renewable, recyclable, and biodegradable, but not when it's dyed. At least, not necessarily. Chemical dyes can be harmful to the environment. But plant breeder researchers at CSIRO in Australia might have worked out a way to avoid dyeing altogether by engineering cotton to naturally grow already colored. They've managed to create colored cotton plant tissue in the lab in vibrant yellows, reds, and purples. Cotton itself is naturally white, sometimes with green or brown streaks depending on what type it is, but mostly white. The CSIRO scientists, however, cracked cotton's molecular color code so that it grows with naturally colored fibers. These plant tissues will need to mature into actual plants before the researchers can guarantee that they will actually produce colored cotton, but a previous experiment on tobacco plants makes them believe it will be successful. Inserting the colored cotton genes into the tobacco plant caused it to grow with colored splotches on the green leaves. And while it will be a few months before the cotton plants bloom, the scientists are pretty confident that if the leaves of the cotton plant also grow with similar splotches of color like the tobacco plants, then the cotton itself will be colored too. And one of the biggest accomplishments will be if they can breed naturally black cotton. And that will be huge for one because black dyes cause the most pollution of all dyes, and also because it would be super hardcore. The CSIRO team in Australia, in addition to this cotton project, is also working on breeding naturally wrinkle-free cotton so that we won't ever have to iron our shirts again. These biotech advances, man, really makes you feel like the stuff of futurist dreams. Even if you're not a medical professional, over the past few months, you may have become familiar with the Journal of the American Medical Association, or JAMA one of the main journals putting out peer-reviewed studies related to the coronavirus. But something that I was surprised to learn is that JAMA has a poetry editor. Because in addition to case reports and clinical trials, every issue of JAMA includes a poetry section. 
Wired recently spoke to JAMA's poetry editor, Rafael Campos, about the significance of poetry in the medical world and especially during this time when it has proven to be extra popular. Campos's submissions have gone up from 20 to 30 a week to over 100. He says it may be more popular right now because we're more isolated. We're all going through something similar, but we're not together. So poetry is a way of feeling connected to someone else's experience even without being there. Most of the submissions come from healthcare professionals, and Campos notes that the brevity of poetry matches their lifestyles. Quote, Poetry fits into the fragmented spaces that we have as doctors, as we're running around trying to deal with this crisis. End quote. But poetry isn't just healing for healthcare professionals. It's also a form of healing for patients. Campos says, quote, When one's body betrays the person that's living with illness, it can feel tremendously isolating and alienating until we are able to name what's going on inside of us and take a kind of control over what has gone awry. That's extremely empowering and can really combat some of the fear and isolation and loneliness that so often accompanies the experience of illness. There's also probably some physiology that is activated that is therapeutic in a more direct way by harnessing the imagination. There's the beginning of some research that shows that patients who write about some of their experience of illness, breast cancer, depression, those patients actually have better outcomes. We don't understand all of the underpinnings of what happens in our bodies when we engage creatively, but there's also probably some beneficial or healing physiologic effect of writing and harnessing our imaginations in that way. End quote. Campos also notes that being able to describe your symptoms, even in a more metaphoric way, can help the people that you're caring for empathize and perhaps care for you more accurately. As a writer himself and the director of writing and literature programs for the Arts and Humanities Initiative at the Harvard Medical School, it's no surprise that Campos sees the value in an artistic and holistic approach to medicine. He emphasizes how important it is to truly connect emotionally with patients and to be there for them. Quote, We need that larger context to help us see that what we do is, in many respects, sacred and is very, very deeply meaningful if we allow ourselves to be present at it. End quote. And I'll end here with a poem from the most recent issue of JAMA written by Christopher H. Schifflein, M.D. Even though our 500-square-foot apartment is a petri dish, even though the bathroom pretends to be an office, even though the TP clock is ticking, even though a good song may grow old— Even though I've eaten all the almond butter, and even though you won't wear your headphones, even though we can't help but be together, even though I can only take you out to take out, even though florists are non-essential, even though a kiss carries more than we know, even with this, still I wish, won't you be mine, my quarantine? Or quarantine, perhaps. A few people in Rhode Island are going to have to wait even longer to get their tax refunds after the ones that they were sent last week have been ruled invalid. And that might not sound like good news, but the reason behind it is pretty funny. The checks were signed, not by Rhode Island General Treasurer Seth Magaziner or State Controller Peter Keenan, but rather by General Treasurer Mickey Mouse and State Controller Walt Disney. Yeah, really. Jade Borgeson, chief of staff for the Department of Revenue, told NBC10 News, quote, As a result of a technical error in the Division of Taxation's automated refund check printing system, approximately 176 checks with invalid signature lines were printed and mailed to taxpayers on Monday, July 27, 2020. The invalid signature lines were incorrectly sourced from the division's test print files, end quote. 
The Division of Taxation has already reached out to the affected taxpayers and is issuing new checks, but given that most of the checks were related to various business taxes, the delay is just the latest in a string of frustrating news for local businesses. Nonetheless, it's still pretty funny. Rhode Island is just lucky that their test print files have such a G-rated sample copy. I mean, imagine if someone had been trying to have fun and put in a totally inappropriate set of words, or I don't know, like a fake porn star name or an actual real person, they could be in way more hot water right about now. Though, knowing how the mouse is with copyright, I wouldn't be surprised if Disney were already coming after the state of Rhode Island for using their properties without permission. Steamboat Willie will never be in the public domain on their watch. Remember Fire Festival? That luxury music fest in the Bahamas that never was? The one run by Billy McFarland and Ja Rule, promoted by influencers like Kendall Jenner and Bella Hadid, but then turned so bad so fast that the internet was overrun for two days by photos from rich young people who had paid tens of thousands of dollars to be there, trapped on an island being served plain slices of bread and taking cover in disaster relief tents until all of their cell phones ran out of battery as they attempted to make their way back to the U.S., It was perhaps one of the greatest moments of schadenfreude on the internet, made even greater when it was memorialized in two competing documentaries from Hulu and Netflix, which dropped within days of each other in 2019. Although Netflix, I think, won that battle, at least as far as memes go, thanks to Fire Festival producer Andy King's unforgettable Evian water bottle moment. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google it, and maybe not at work. Well, now you can own a piece of Fire Festival lore thanks to an online auction just posted by the U.S. Marshals, who seized the merchandise from Fire Festival organizer Billy McFarland. U.S. Marshal Ralph Sozio said in a press release, quote, This Fire Festival branded clothing and other items that were seized from Billy McFarland were originally intended to be sold at the Fire Festival itself, but were kept by McFarland with the intent to sell the items and use the funds to commit further criminal acts while he was on pre-trial release. The proceeds from the sale of these items, all traceable to McFarland's $26 million fraud, will go toward the victims of his crimes, end quote. So that's nice. Not only can you get a hilarious piece of Fire Festival swag, but you can know that your money is going to a good cause. And what's on offer? Over a hundred items, ranging from hats to joggers to long sleeve tees. There's also hoodies, wristbands, tokens, and regular t-shirts, all with variations of the Fire Fest or Fire Entertainment logos and mottos. A lot of the apparel is already in the low hundreds in bidding, so get there fast. The auction will continue until August 13th. Link in the show notes. And just a little more FYI on Billy McFarland's status quo, quoting CNN. McFarland is serving a six-year prison sentence for the fraud. He pleaded guilty in 2018 to two counts of wire fraud for his role in defrauding Fire Festival investors and ticket vendors of about $26 million, prosecutors said. He also pleaded guilty to a charge of bank fraud for a sham ticket scheme he conducted while out on bail, another count of bank fraud for writing a check using the same name and account number of an employee without authorization, and to making false statements to federal law enforcement about the frauds, according to prosecutors. End quote. It is remarkable what this dude was able to get away with, but I am so glad that he's facing punishment for his crimes, and even more than that, that so many of his victims have been the recipients of successful GoFundMe campaigns and more. 
While we all love to laugh at Fire Festival, in part because a bunch of rich kids got played, the publicity of the failure has also led to a lot of people helping out the folks who got especially screwed over by Billy, like the workers from Exuma. And you can help out more by bidding on some of this ridiculous Fire Festival merch. So, have at it. So today, August 3rd, is a holiday called Esther Day. It was started in 2010 on a young woman named Esther Earle's 16th birthday. Esther had terminal thyroid cancer, and through her volunteering with various online communities, had befriended author John Green and his brother Hank, who, prior to John's enormous fame from his best-selling book The Fault in Our Stars, which was partially inspired by Esther, he had a popular YouTube channel together with his brother Hank, which still exists today. And they told Esther back in 2010 that every year on her birthday they would celebrate on their YouTube channel and in the larger community however she wanted. She could tell them literally anything she wanted them to do, and they would do it every year for her birthday. And after thinking it over, she decided that she wanted them and anyone else celebrating to tell their friends and family that they love them. And so it is. Esther Day has continued to be celebrated by more and more people each year since 2010, and so now I'm sharing it with you, especially during this time of separation, of illness, of fear. It's never been more important to take a few minutes out of your day and let the people in your life that you love know that you love them. Give them a call, shoot them a text, shout at them across the room, just say the words even if it's awkward. It really makes a difference to actually say it and not just assume that it's known. So, happy Esther Day, everyone. I hope that it is a good one, and I will talk to you tomorrow.